Well, good morning. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors uh, here, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, you know, we're in a season of relationships, aren't we? Uh, better or worse. Uh, you have the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, a lot of times extended family. And then, of course, we have last week, Valentine's Day, a, a cultural day, but kind of marks the season of, of being in relationships. And I know for a lot of us, uh, this can be a painful season because there's a gap between what we hope for in relationships and in what we experience in relationships. And so I was thinking about, like, I'm praying about what to talk to you about when it comes to relationships. And I thought and I prayed and um, eventually I came to something a little bit abstract, which is this idea, I don't really want to talk about the how-to of, of relationships. I think we're worn out by those kind of talks, honestly. And I don't actually think it's mostly what the scriptures have to say to us about relationships. You know, I think there's a first question before we, we talk about our hopes and dreams for relationships with others, there's one conversation that we need to have, and that conversation is really about who do you think that you are? Who do you think that you are? Because every relationship that you enter into, there's, there's one common thread, and that's you. So I started to think about this idea of, if, if I asked you a question, how would you describe yourself? If, if I said, just, just tell me some stories that will tell me about who you are, about how you understand who you are, what would you tell me? And I thought about a recent experience I had uh, actually helping a friend of mine uh, build his LinkedIn profile. I don't know how many people are on, on LinkedIn, um, quite a few, but if you're not on LinkedIn, you're on some kind of, of social media, I would imagine, and all kinds of social media, you know, there's the same thing that LinkedIn has, which is there's this space uh, where you have to, like, tell about yourself. Who are you in, in a few sentences? And that's a really hard exercise, isn't it? To write, who am I? in a few, a few sentences. And so I was helping my, fr my friend think through that and I realized this is a difficult thing. You know, the, the other experience I thought about is, uh, is Instagram, right? Instagram really is a collection of stories meant to kind of describe this is who I am. If you wanna understand who Gabe is, you go on my Instagram profile and you can kind of look through these stories and you, and you look at who, who am I related to, uh, who am I friends with, what kind of activities am I involved in? So in a way, it's a modern way of answering this question, who am I um, through the stories that I might tell about uh, myself? So I wonder how you would answer that question. Who are you? What stories would you tell well, uh, I got to thinking about that, and um, I thought about one of my favorite stories in the New Testament it comes from the gospel according to John, and it's in chapter 21, um, and it's verses 1 through 14. And we want to, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to read this story together, but I want you to, as we read, think through this lens of um, John, right, is writing this as an older man. He's looking back, remembering, and, you know, he's really writing stories about um, how he sees himself, how he sees God. He's, of course, he's writing uh, the gospel to tell about who the person of Jesus is, but you learn a lot in the, in the gospel of John about what John thinks about himself as well. So let me, let's read this. 
Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. There we go. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled, pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So, so quite a story, and one of my favorite stories, because of the way that Jesus is portrayed, and also because in verse 7 of the way that John portrays himself, if we can look at verse 7 again briefly, it says that he, uh, let's see, verse 7, if we go to the next, I think two slides from now, there we go, one more, there we go. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter. Now this is John writing about himself. It's funny, right? It's funny that you would like refer to yourself in the third person in that way, but think about that. How profound, how profound is that? That the way that John understood who he was is this one, really one word, beloved, beloved. What if you understood yourself that way? How would that change your life? How would that change every relationship that you're in? If your first understanding of yourself wasn't all the stories on your Instagram feed, wasn't your LinkedIn profile, wasn't the way that you showed up at work or your failures, but it was just this one word, beloved. That's how John understood himself. And that's what I wanna talk about today is this idea of being beloved. But I wanna set this up by just spending a moment in this story because it's a beautiful story. And, and the first thing I wanna point out is that this is a true story. How do we know this is a true story? It's not a legend, uh, it, it's, it's a factual story. There's way too many details to be a legendary kind of, kind of tale. And so maybe some of you here today are kind of still kicking the tires on your faith and you're not sure where the Bible might just be a set of good principles. Uh, maybe it's not completely true, but I wanna invite you to consider the idea that this is a true story, that this is history, that there was a real man named John and he was in a real boat and he was in a real lake and he met a real Jesus in this way, a resurrected Jesus. And, and if that's true, um, that changes everything. 
about your life and about the world. But this is a beautiful story because you imagine that uh, these guys had been following Jesus for, for three years and, and they put their hopes and dreams and aspirations in him and then uh, the whole thing seems to come crashing down when he's executed and murdered. And this is just the week before this story happens. And, and so in their confusion, they, they run. And, and they go to the place they know, they go back home to Galilee, and they go back to the thing that they did before they met Jesus, which was fishing. I imagine, you know, the way this story starts out, it says, then Peter had an idea and said, uh, I'm going fishing, who wants to come with me? And, and really out of a sense of desperation and maybe confusion, they go back to this thing that they had been doing their whole lives and they fish and they spend all night out on this lake in this boat. And the story tells us that it wasn't a good night of fishing, that at the end of the night they hadn't caught a single fish. How many fishermen do we have here? Um, I'm, I'm a guy with a fishing pole, I've been out a few times. Um, I'm famously terrible at, at catching a fish. Um, but what a frustrating thing to be out on a lake all night and they haven't caught a thing and, and they're confused. And so I just invite you to like sit in this story for a minute. Imagine you're confused, your hopes are dashed, you're afraid because the, the, the one that you were sure was gonna save you was gonna be the true Messiah has been executed and you're not, not sure what's going on and now gone back to the thing and now your livelihood's not even working for you. And so I imagine the story that, you know, the, the sun comes up in the morning and you know how there's that, that mist over a lake early in the morning. There's this mist out on the water. And, and through the mist, they, they see something unusual. They see a, a campfire, a single campfire on, on the edge of the shore. And then they hear a voice crying out to them. Hey guys, throw your nets on the other side. And so I wonder if they recognize the Lord's voice, I don't know, but they do it and they pull in the fish. And then it's this one, the one that was loved by Jesus, John, says that he's the one that recognized at that moment that this was the Lord. And he says to Peter, I, I think this is Jesus, I think it's the Lord calling out to us. And can you imagine that moment for them, that they see the risen Christ on the shore, completely unexpected. And so I love the reaction of, of Peter. What does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat, says he gets dressed first, actually, which is kind of funny. Like, who gets dressed to go jump in the water? But Peter does. I guess if you're going to meet God, you should get dressed. So he gets dressed, he jumps, and he runs, and it says they pull the boat in. And, and the moment I want us to sit in, though, is we think about this idea that John understands himself to be the one who Jesus loved, and he tells this story. That if he had an Instagram feed, this would be on there, okay, this story. And it's this moment when they drag the boat on the shore. And, and just think about this for a second. The risen Jesus, the Lord, who made the whole universe, is standing on this beach. After a night of disappointment and desperation, they see him, and what does he do? Invites him to breakfast. And it says that the, when they got there, there was already a fire prepared, and there was already bread made, and there was already fish there. And Jesus says, come and, 
come and have breakfast with me. And, and I imagine an older John who's writing down this story, maybe, you know, remembering that smell of that charcoal fire. I wonder if every time that John smelled a charcoal fire, he remembered that moment on the beach, that, that moment where he, he met the resurrected Jesus who made breakfast for them and sat with them. You see, for John, the idea of being loved by God wasn't an abstraction. It wasn't a religious idea, something behind good morals, something behind a good religious system. You see, for him, it was deeply and intimately part of his story because he had experienced Jesus in a beautiful way. So, So when John says that he's beloved by God, that he's beloved by Jesus, He's thinking, my God is the one who shows up and makes breakfast for me in the morning. Well, I want to invite you to a a really profound idea that the the same Jesus who shows up on this beach in Galilee, who who makes bread and fish and feeds his disciples, and, and I imagine looks at them with an intense kindness in his eyes, that same Jesus is the same Jesus who loves you too. That same Jesus is the one who knows you. And so I wanna invite you to the most profound reality that I think you can imagine for yourself is that you are beloved. You're beloved. The scriptures tell us that God, Jesus said himself, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You see, you are the object of God's affection. And so I wanna talk about what that means today. And, And my hope for you is that more than anything else, you would walk away with that statement resonating in your heart and in your mind, but not as an abstraction, not as a theological idea, but as a profoundly intimate reality for you personally. And so I want to invite you first to a little exercise, because John wouldn't just say, like, you know, people who follow Jesus are, are loved. He said, no, I'm, I'm the one that Jesus loved, and, and I know that and I have stories to prove it. So I want you to imagine, what if you put your name in that statement? What would it sound like? Gabe is the one Jesus loves. Shane is the one Jesus loves. Madeline is the one Jesus loves. Sit with that for a minute and let it sink in. You see, that is the truth, my friends, that in Jesus, because of what he's done, you are the one he loves. Well, I wanna explore what that means in a little bit more depth, and I'm gonna read a few quotes throughout the message this morning, and um, they come from one of my favorite books on this idea that that we are uh, loved by God, and it's a book called Life of the Beloved by one of my favorite spiritual writers. His name's Henry Nouwen. If you've never checked that out, um, it's a great great read, it's it's inspirational. Um, But in, in the book, 
And he's writing it, by the way, to a friend who doesn't know God, a friend who's far from God. And he says to him, if, if there's only one thing I could tell you about who God is, it's, it's this idea that you are beloved. Isn't that fascinating? If there's only one thing I'd want you to know about the character and the person of, of who Jesus is, I'd want you to know that you are beloved. That's the message of the gospel. But there's a lot of depth to it. And in his book, um, he walks through several movements of what that means to be beloved. And I want to walk you through some of those this morning. The first thing is this idea that to be loved by Jesus means that you are chosen. That you are chosen. And now it says this. He says, from all eternity, long before you were born and became a part of history, you existed in God's heart. Long before your parents admired you or your friends acknowledged your gifts or your teachers, colleagues, and employers encouraged you, you were already chosen because the eyes of love had seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, as of eternal value. You see, our chosenness isn't something that's given to us in the world, but yet we operate that way, don't we? We operate as if uh, we're waiting to be chosen, waiting to be picked. I don't know how many of you have a story. I've got a lot of them of, of the pain of not being chosen. When I was a, a kid, um, I, I keep telling these same stories about how unathletic I was uh, when I was a smaller kid. There used to be um, a photo in Rusty's Deli there at Quail Corners of, of an eight-year-old Gabe in a machine pitch uh, light blue uniform. It was my last season of, of baseball, first and last season of baseball, um, because I was not not very good athlete. And uh, it was machine pitch, you know, so it was like the easiest baseball you could have. They like fed the ball into a machine and, you know, it went in the same place every time. And because they put the terrible kids that they really don't want on the team, they put you in the outfield. And so that's where I found myself out in the outfield as an eight-year-old. But I couldn't catch the ball and, and during, uh, you know, during practice, the coaches would hit the ball uh, up into the air and we do the pop-up fly drills. And I would run like a champion to get underneath that ball. And I would get right under it and I'd get my glove up, but I had no hand-eye coordination. And so like three times in a row in the first couple of weeks of, of playing baseball, the ball hit me squarely in the face. And, um, and so they were like, well, this won't do. We need to do something different. And so they made me the catcher because the catcher gets equipment on his face. And so uh, they nicknamed, my nickname back in those days was the human backstop. If you know the backstop's the fence that stops the ball. Well, I was the fence that stopped the ball. Um, so that's a little bit of my painful story of, of, uh, of not being chosen. I'd never played baseball again after the ridicule of being the human backstop and being forced to be the, uh, the catcher. And so I imagine a lot of us have stories about not being chosen, about not being picked, that in relationships we've been looked over, dismissed, not seen. Um, and so that's what makes it all the more profound that the creator of the universe has chosen you. And, and that's, that's a profound reality um, that we learn in the Gospels. John, uh, earlier in his Gospel, in chapter 3, verse 1, says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are chosen to be members of his own family when we receive the love of Jesus and choose to follow him. 
Friends, you are beloved. You are chosen by him. The second thing that I want you to understand about what it means to be loved is that you are not only chosen, but you are also blessed. You are blessed. And, and this is kind of um, a, a different word that maybe we don't hear a lot. Like, what does it mean to be blessed? I don't know that I've ever really had somebody tell me that, that, well, Gabe, you're, you're blessed. Well, if they do say that, they mean, you know, well, you, you've been given some sort of possession. You know, you're, you're blessed because look at, you know, you got that, that sweet 2011 forerunner. Um, with a big dent in the back, you're blessed, man. That's amazing. Um, but blessing actually is a rich theme throughout the scriptures. You see, to be loved by God is to be blessed, which is to have goodness and beauty pronounced over you. And, and I, my favorite verse that, that sort of demonstrates what it means to be blessed is actually in Zephaniah 3.17. And, and it says this, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, He's a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And what a beautiful image, if you can imagine it. Again, not as an abstraction, but as a reality. What if it's true that the creator of the universe, the one that put all the stars in the heavens in place, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb, what if his orientation to you is one of blessing, so much so that he sings over you as you sleep. That he rejoices over you with gladness, that he quiets you by his love. You see, I think we're all longing for blessing. And, and, and so many of us are, are, are going through life trying to receive blessing, trying to strive to get it, to be told well done. But what I want to tell you this morning is that you're already blessed because God chose you before the foundations of the earth. He made you, he created you to worship him and to know him and to be in an intimate love relationship with him. And this is the truth about who you are. You were chosen and you were blessed. Well, friends, the next question that follows is what keeps us from embracing our belovedness? What keeps us from embracing this idea of being chosen and blessed by God? Because if we're honest with each other, we don't walk around going through life thinking this way about ourselves, do we? I mean, be honest. What are, what are, what are the storylines in your head when you think about who you really are? If you're like me, then there's, there's a lot of contrary things that you would say about yourself, perhaps. But the first things that come to mind probably aren't, man, I'm so loved. I'm the one who Jesus loved and because he chose me, because he's blessed me. And, that, and I enter into every room and every conversation and every relationship and every hardship I enter into with that posture of being loved. No, we don't. Why not? Because there's a third reality about us, and that is the reality that you are also broken. Nowen says this about our brokenness. He says, aren't you, like me, hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope, may this book, idea, course, trip, job, country, or relationship fill my deepest desire? But as long as you're waiting on that mysterious moment, 
you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. You see, in our brokenness, we're, we're searching, we're searching, aren't we, for that final thing that will fulfill our deepest desire. And in the context of relationships, we're so often looking for the relationships or relationship that, that will fully satisfy us. But it's, it's like St. Augustine said, he said, we'll always be restless until we find our rest in God alone. But we have to talk about our brokenness if we're gonna move to our belovedness. And I, I wanna talk more specifically for a minute about the ways in which um, we experience brokenness and why we don't believe that we're loved. Um, and that's three primary things that, that we believe, three primary areas that we receive lies from. So the first area is uh, the world. First John five nineteen says this, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You see, the world will tell you all kinds of lies that aren't true about yourself. The world will tell you that, you know, you need to be smarter or skinnier or more beautiful or more wealthy or have different relationships. The world will tell you that, you know, if you really like want to be loved, you need to be happy. And not all of that is, is brokenness and lies. The world's full of them, and they fill our heads every day as we take in all of our social media, as we take in entertainment. It fills our head with wrong ideas um, and speaks to our brokenness because we believe these lies the world tells us. The second place that we receive lies that uh, keep us from believing that we're beloved is evil itself. Did you know that there's a real and present evil? We don't talk about this a lot. But evil isn't an abstraction either. Jesus isn't an abstraction. He's very real and he very much loves you. And there's a real evil also. Um, and, in, and he is the father of lies. And John in chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The scriptures teach us that he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And so there's, there's a real enemy that's seeking to deceive you, that's seeking to tell you things that aren't true about yourself, that distracts you from this profound truth that you are loved, that you're chosen, that you're blessed. The third place that we receive lies about ourselves that undermine our concept of being loved is our own heart. And this is where it gets really scary because it's not just the world out there, it's not just an evil that's hunting us, trying to destroy us, but it's actually our own hearts. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? And this is why in our culture, it's such an evil and terrible idea that you, know, you just do your truth, you just find your inner truth, you just find yourself, you just do you, you do what makes you happy, all rubbish and lies. And it will never lead to the sort of fulfillment that we're looking for when we believe these kinds of lies. I don't know what lies that you believe, but maybe some of them might sound like this. You are what you do. You are what you have. 
You are what others say about you. You are what has happened to you. You know, maybe some of you have had a terrible thing happen to you. You've experienced an extreme loss and pain, and, and, and maybe that's consumed you. And maybe you think, that's, that's my identity, is what's happened to me. Maybe some of you think that you are what you imagine yourself to be. But you see, none of these things are true because God loves us too much to leave it up to us to decide who we are. Instead, he's told us who we are, and who you are is the one who Jesus loves. That's who you're made to be, the one who Jesus loves, that he has chosen you and blessed you. Well, in conclusion, I want to just give us an idea about how we should maybe respond to this truth. How should I respond to this truth that I've heard today? Um, Well, the first thing is, you see, it's profoundly true that God made you and knit you together, that he, he thought of you before you were born, and that he made every human being for exactly the same purpose, which is to be a worshiper of him, to follow him, to know him, to be a, in a, a, an intimate, perfect love relationship with him. That's, that's why you were made, that's the very purpose of your life and he loves you, and he made a way for you to be in a, that sort of relationship with him even though you were broken, even though your own heart deceives you, even though you exist in a world that deceives you, even though you have an enemy which is evil pursuing you, he's made a way for you, and the way is Jesus. And I wanna take us back to that story because you see, Jesus is the living God. And he came and he lived the perfect life that you could never live. And when he went to the cross, he had you in mind and he had every sin you'd ever committed, ever will commit in in his mind at that time. And when he died, he paid the penalty for your sins and made a way for you to be restored in right relationship with God. That's the sort of love that God has for you, that he would give up his own life for you. And he's made this way So how do you respond to this truth? Well, the first thing is, is the scriptures tell us all we have to do is respond by saying, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna give you my life. I I wanna stop finding my identity in all these other places and I just wanna find it in you. And because Jesus didn't stay in that grave, you know, he was resurrected and eventually he made breakfast for his friends on the beach. And I believe that one day he wants to make breakfast for you too. Can you imagine that day that you meet the Lord who made you face to face? That's what the book of Revelation tells us, that one day there'll be a great feast. And for those of us who call Jesus Lord, who receive his gift of love and decide to follow him, we'll be at that table one day and that he'll feed you And that he'll look at you in your eyes. And he'll tell you the thing that you've always wanted to hear. Which is, you are so loved. You are loved. I chose you. I picked you. I'm crazy about you. And I'm so glad you're here. I don't know where you are today, maybe some of you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, but 
I know that in your heart, you're longing to hear those words. And maybe you're searching the earth and you're, you're trying to find your identity somewhere else and it's not working and you're frustrated and you're confused, but Jesus is waiting for you. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I give you my life. I wanna follow you. To Christ be the glory, amen. I wanna pray and then Stuart's gonna come up and lead us in an extended time of worship. Father, we thank you that you are love. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be restored in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that you chose us before the foundations of the earth, that you've pronounced beauty and goodness over us, that you've told us who we are, and all we have to do is receive it. And so I pray today for my friends in this room. Lord, I pray for, for those who, who maybe haven't made that decision yet. Lord, would you, would you prompt their heart this morning to just cry out to you, Lord, I give you my life. That's all, you, all we have to do. And receive your goodness and our chosenness and our blessedness. Lord, I pray for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, but we've forgotten this core reality and, and, and we're waiting to find fulfillment in a relationship. We're waiting to find our fulfillment in our work or in what others think about us. Lord, would you just quicken our hearts today and remind us that we're already loved, already chosen. We thank you, Lord, for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. spend some time responding together and, uh, and some, some responsive prayer time. And I'm going to give some prompts that are just some, some of the things that, that, that the world says about us that are untrue. And then we're going to respond together proclaiming uh, boldly the things that God says about us, the truth about who we are in Christ. The world says you are unimportant, a nobody, a number, perhaps even a mistake. But God says, let's say this together, you are my child adopted into the family of God, an heir of Christ Jesus, awaiting the inheritance of eternity, assured with the gift of the Holy Spirit and fully reconciled to God. The world says you should be ashamed of your thoughts. You deserve to be condemned for your actions and you will one day have to pay for your sins. But God says, I am holy, righteous, and forgiven. I am no longer a slave to sin, but instead I've been set free. I have a new heart which longs for the presence of God. I have been crucified with Christ, and therefore I am reconciled with God. God continues to lavish his grace on me, and I am no longer under any condemnation. And the world says, you don't have what it takes. You don't do enough, and therefore you don't really 
matter. But God says, I am chosen, I am accepted in the beloved, I am forgiven, I am loved, and I am a child of the King. Therefore, I rejoice in who I am.